time to reflect on this very well-known story and consider the question that I think lies behind the very, very different reactions there are that Jesus gets from the characters in this story. You see, the different responses that Jesus gets from the different people in this story, I think they're all driven by one key question underneath. And that question is, who is it that is going to be king? Who will be king? And there are three different answers, at least, on display here. And we're going to explore these three options. We're going to explore each in a separate talk, a separate short talk before fear sets in. A a separate short talk. And uh, don't panic, it's okay. Who will be king? I think that the the first answer, the, the answer that drives these magi to make their epic trip is this newborn baby, this, this child Jesus, he's the one that's going to be king. But we need to rewind the tape a little bit from here. Just, just who are these magi in the first place and where did they come from? Right, you know the song, we three kings from Orion are, except first, well, they're not kings, they're, they're magi. Second, oh, it never actually says there were three, it just says there were three presents. And, and third, we only know they came from the east pretty broad aspect in the east I mean, maybe from australia probably probably not from australia to be fair probably not from australia but but there are a few other places apart from the orient to take a look down with me at verse one and two matthew chapter two verse one and two let's see exactly what the bible tells us about these kings now there are six things it tells us about them in verses one and two i counted six can you find six things have a look in verses one and two with me Six things is quite a lot, isn't it? So they, they, they're Magi, one. They, they come from the east, two. They're coming to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem. They're looking for a newborn king, four. Signaled by a star, a new star they saw, five. And they're coming to worship. Six things we learn about them there. Now that word Magi, I think, is a bit of an unusual one. We say it. But we don't necessarily know what it means. What exactly is it? It's a a person who has an unusual capacity of understanding based on astrology, based on the stars. Someone with a a, a secular side to them, the, the kind of mathematicians, the observers, the theoreticians of their age, but somebody with a religious side as well to them. And they were obviously pretty important people. I mean, King Herod invites them in for a chat. And that doesn't happen to just everyone who shows up in Jerusalem. So they're reasonably important people. Uh, maybe they were kings. Perhaps they were kings. But it, it, it doesn't say that. Here's the first thing I want you to see, though. These, these magi are coming. They're going some pretty significant lengths to hunt for this newborn king of the Jews. They obviously think this new baby is going to be something important, a pretty big deal. I mean, you don't read of it being routine for magi to show up at every royal birth anywhere in the world, do you? I don't think anyone came to see Princess Kate at the arrival of Prince George or, or, or Princess Charlotte. Well, a bunch of paparazzi came, but no, no magi came from anywhere to see them. We don't read a magi coming to visit King Herod as his children were born. And you can imagine it might be nice to send a card, you know, when a new king's been born. Yeah, but uh, if you're going to visit all the newborn kings around, I mean, you're going to be on the road more than Phil Doggett. It's going to be outrageous. It's particularly surprising they show up for a king of the Jews. 
since at that time the Jews weren't exactly a major people. They weren't really a, a significant player. They didn't rank very high on the superpowers list. They weren't significant militarily or, or economically. Now the Roman Empire, now that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Those guys ran the show. They had an enormous stretch of land under their power. A new Roman king being born and some Magi showing up? Yeah, perhaps that makes more sense. But a king of the Jews? That's odd. King of some minor people somewhere? Just one more nation under the Roman thumb? That's a, it's a bit of a surprise. And they haven't just come to say hello uh, or congratulations. But they've actually come to worship, is what it said in verse 2, to worship. And they've come bringing these precious presents, albeit rather strange presents. Apart from the gold, quite like the gold. But the other ones are a bit strange. Um, stuff they've carried through the desert. Now, I'm not sure I would fancy carrying gold down Princess Street. But carrying gold all the way across the desert in bandit country. You know, they're really taking some risk with this. So, what's our first answer to this question? Who's going to be king? Our first answer is this baby. This baby Jesus is going to be king. He's going to be king. And not just any king. He's going to be a, a, a special king. King of the Jews, sure, but even more than that, he's going to be special somehow. You see, there's the second thing I want you to see about these wise men, these, these magi. They don't fully understand what is going on, who this Jesus is, right? He's been born the king of the Jews, yep. His birth is signaled by a, a, a special star, yeah, absolutely. He's someone who should be worshipped, someone who, who should be honored, yep, got that, and but they don't seem to get that much more, really. Now, perhaps their gifts show us something more, right? Perhaps those three gifts, there are a lot of theories about what the gold, the, the frankincense or the incense and the myrrh mean. Uh, people with big brains have thought very long and very hard about this. Um, perhaps they show the Magi recognizing him as king, that's the gold, as a, as a sacrifice, that's the incense, and as one will die, one who will come to die, the myrrh. Perhaps they do. Or, or maybe they recognize him as king with the gold, God with the incense, and man with the myrrh. Or maybe it's more about where the different gifts come from. You see, the, the word for frankincense is Lebanos, is Lebanon. And the word for myrrh is Smyrna, uh, uh, Izmir today in modern day Turkey. Perhaps it's a picture of, of the nations coming. Well, we don't really know. Perhaps they're just the precious gifts of that age. Maybe it's like bringing an, you know, an iPhone. Uh, a Hollister top and a latte. Maybe, maybe it's just three, three nice gifts that they're bringing. Now, they do come to worship, right? They come to worship, but again, that word doesn't tell us that much. When, when uh, Matthew, in his gospel, uses this word to worship, what he means when he uses it is just to show deferential respect. It's just about that, that physical act of bending over to worship. This guy, he is a king. He's something special. He deserves respect. But the word worship does not say anything religious necessarily. It's just saying he's special. There's not really any certain indication that these magi really grasp who Jesus is. And I think the fact that they just turn around and go home afterwards is the clearest indication of all. Now, I wonder whether there's anyone here today who might be in a place a bit like that. Do you have some sort of sense of who Jesus is? Some sense that Jesus might be someone important, someone significant. Perhaps that's why you came along this morning. There's maybe something going on at this Christmas time. 
but you're not really sure exactly what it is, exactly who this Jesus is. If that's you today, we would love to help you explore that question some more. We'd love to help you find out more about who Jesus is and what the Bible says about him, what kind of king he really is, uh, what he came to do and to accomplish as this helpless baby. You've come this far, right? You've come all the way to church, which is a pretty scary thing. I think, to be fair, we should acknowledge that. It's a pretty scary place to come in here and uh, to try and find your way around. You've come a long way on this journey. Perhaps you've even come to show respect and to you know, honor this God in some way. But don't just head home afterwards. Don't just head home. Please, don't leave without getting the answers you came looking for. If you came with someone today, why not ask them? Ask them to help you explore. Well, who is this Jesus and what does it mean? If you don't know someone to ask, or perhaps you don't want to ask the people who brought you, then um, pick on me, pick on uh, any one of the staff here. Uh, our email addresses are all on the church website. Just drop us an email, and we'd love to talk with you about it. So who's going to be king? The first answer we got here is it's this baby. Somehow. You know, can you tell us, do you know uh, about what proportion of China would call themselves Christians? Um, according to uh, the figures from OFM, and it's about 8%. Okay. But due to the huge population of China, it's around 100, mi- 100 million, over, which is twice as the population as Britain. And, so, and I would say because uh, Christianity is, because the government is not encouraging religious, uh, so around 2 to 4% people would claim their faith, and the rest of them would. They might have faith, but because they won't work for government or something, so they wouldn't claim that. So I would say it's 2 to 4%. Okay. And is Christmas significant at all for the, for the wider population? How does it compare to something big like maybe Chinese New Year? Is, is it a big deal? Well, I think for um, older generation, they might have no idea what Christmas is because they were raised and they were brought up in the way like communists uh, that way but for younger generation because now like you know uh, western dramas is very popular in China so uh, they might know like Christmas is a big thing in western world so they might to be like imitate this kind of thing in China so uh, among the younger generation and well compared to Chinese New Year I think Chinese New Year definitely huge it's a big thing in China because you can get a uh, new jacket new coat a new gift and money so so what does a christmas celebration look like for 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 the rest of china who who don't really claim jesus as lord well they do celebrate commercially (laughs) so i think it's a big opportunity for uh, those companies uh, retail companies to promote their products well it's pretty much like um, boxing day in britain but the only difference is like the boxing day in britain is one day and in china is every day over that period wow yeah (laughs) Okay, and um, what about food? I guess, you know, we're very big about our Christmas meals. We need our turkey yeah. and things like that. What do you think? What's going to be on the table uh, well, at home? Uh, normally, just a normal Chinese meal, but some people do have turkeys. But the, the thing is, um, because I think turkey was imported from other countries, so initially people have no idea what that is, and so we call it huge chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And people might be confused. Oh, is that chicken or turkey? Oh, so we just call it big chicken. <laughs> and, yeah. are, are, there, are there any traditions that, that most people would practice? Oh, um, 
I think we have apples during Christmas Eve. Well, uh, my Western friend asked me about this, and they think, used to think it's because um, the apple, you know the story of uh, Adam's apple? So he ate the apple, so it's the original thing. But it's totally not the case. Um, it's because um, the pronunciation in Mandarin of uh, apple is homophonic, which means the same uh, sound of peace. So um, we call it the fruit of peace, which uh, is uh, the same as, you know, we have a, sing, a hymn called Silent Night. Yeah. So it's kind of like peaceful, silent night. Okay. So that's why we have apple during Christmas Eve. An apple. There you go. Apples on Christmas Eve. And what about you, Kino? You've become a Christian over these last few years. Yes. What do you think um, you, you would have understood Christmas to be um, back in China before this? What do you understood? Well, before, when I was in China, like, because um, over that period, it's kind of like uh, professionals, they have, because uh, it's not recognized officially, so we don't have holidays. So professionals have to work um, on the day, oh. and students might have exams on that day. So it's pretty miserable for them. <laughs> and, but yeah, it's a good opportunity for people to get, the, get together and like friend chat. So I think that's all Christmas is about. So it's just like a, yeah, a party like get, and yeah, some party sales thing. and some exams. Yes, yes. That's not the same thing. That's a bit of a, and, and what about you now? So if you went home now and you yeah. tried to explain to somebody at home yeah. what Christmas is about, what would you tell them now? I would tell them um, there's a man who was born in uh, 2,000 years ago, roughly, and which, who is our Lord. Jesus Christ. I would tell them Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ, which um, uh, he brought up the good news for us and saved us. So that's why we have the Christmas. In, in. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Kino, for telling us Thank that. You. Thank you. Handshake required. Grab a seat. <laughs> uh, a little bit of background for you on the sort of thing that the, the Jewish people and the Jewish teachers would have had. Now, the second answer to this question of who will be king is the one we get from the people described here as chief priests and teachers of the law. See, when the Magi turn up in Jerusalem looking for a king, well, well Herod wants information and he wants it fast. So, so he goes to the Jewish intelligentsia, these people who are clued up, who built their lives around knowing every detail of what God had said to them. And uh, he says, what's in the books, boys? Is there a king coming? Is there a special king coming? If there's a king of the Jews coming, where's he going to come from? What's it going to be? Now, King Herod asked them this question. Look with me at exactly what he asks. It's in verse 4 here. Exactly what does King Herod ask them? See, the Magi come saying, who's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Herod, once he's called together all the people, he asks them, it says, where the Christ was to be born. See, the Magi show up looking for a king. Herod wants to know, where's the Christ going to be born? He's connected the two in his head. And I think it's pretty easy for us to think that you know, this Christ thing is just uh, 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 Jesus' surname, right? Um, I'd like that nice wooden table, please, Mr. Christ. It's his family name, but it's much, much more than that. It comes from the Greek word uh, Christos, which translates the Hebrew word Messiah. And it means um, the anointed one, the chosen one, the special one. For these Jews, the idea of Messiah would have brought into their heads all these promises that that video was talking about, that someone is coming. 
the promise of a virgin with child, the promise of a forever king in the line of David. And when Herod connects this newborn king, the Magi are looking for with this concept of Messiah, he's showing us much more about who Jesus really is. He's onto something here. But hold your horses. We're thinking about the chief priests and the teachers of the law. What is their answer to this question of who will be king? Here's what I think it is. Whatever. Just whatever. You, you can almost see them shrug their shoulders as they answer. You know, where's this long-promised Messiah to be born? What do the books say? Bethlehem. Of course, we all know that. Just like the prophet said ages and ages ago. Whatever. Their reaction's rather odd when you think about it, isn't it? These strangers from out of town have gone to great lengths in search of this king on account of the remarkable sign in the sky. Herod connects this king to the promised Messiah who's going to deliver the Jewish nation. These guys know their stuff. They know all about the coming Messiah. So what do they do about it? Nothing at all, so it seems. They just... Shrug their shoulders and head home to carry on about their business. Leave those magi to go and chase that star. Crazy folk. Get home to their wife. Just another day at the office, dear. Some real nutcases today, dear. Some real enthusiasts getting all carried away. They'll, they'll learn soon enough. I mean, didn't there ought to be a bit of excitement here? A little bit of excitement? You know, maybe it's finally time. Maybe it's finally time. Maybe somebody has finally come. Maybe at last God is sending the promised deliverer. But you just get this hump. I heard it all before. New star, sure. Thanks, boys. All very exciting for you. Look, don't you know that's just a fairy tale? Don't you know it's been 400 years and nothing at all has happened? It's not actually going to be anything. Don't go getting your knickers all in a twist. These, these priests, these ones who know all about God's coming deliverer, know exactly where he's going to show up. They can't bring themselves to go the five-ish miles it is to Bethlehem to check it out. It's five miles. Seriously. And maybe it's a bit snowy or, or cold or something. Though actually, when I checked last week, it was sunny and warm, unfortunately. Uh, maybe it's uphill or something. Uh, perhaps they've been excited before and they don't want to get excited again, right? Perhaps this is just... You're protecting myself by managing my expectations. Don't want to get my hopes up too high. In any event, when the foreigners wander in through the door, all excited and looking for a king, leg it back out the other side to chase the star. These know-it-alls, they just sit tight in Jerusalem. A newborn king, whatever. Now, I wonder if there's anyone here today where that might sound a bit more like your story. Perhaps you know your Christian stuff, right? Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe, maybe you were a regular in church one time. Perhaps you're a regular today even still, but the idea that it might actually be true, that it might actually be real, that this might actually have happened, that God has come to be with us, that isn't enough to get you on the road to Bethlehem to go and see. Maybe for you, you can remember a day when you were excited about this, when you could believe it, but now it's just kind of going through the motions. You know, I have my hopes up. I've got to be a bit more realistic now. Can't believe it anymore. Too good to be true. This Christmas, why not try and just push that cynicism 
back a little bit because let's face it, the world needs a little more hope. It's all looking pretty dark if you watch the news. There's, there's not a whole lot of good going on out there. There's not a whole lot to look forward to either. Progress, democracy, education, science, these things we put our hope in, well, none of them seem to be anywhere near delivering the better world they promised, do they? What have we got? We have war. We have terrorism. We've got climate change. We have financial crisis. We've got stressed out workers. We've got abandoned elderly. We've got ignored children. We have a world that is filled with injustice and pain. There is not a lot else in this world to pin your hopes on. There's not a lot else to look forward to. But what if there really was good news of great joy for all people? What if this really was true? What if this Christmas time, it was really true that a Savior had been born to us in the town of David in Bethlehem? What if he really was this Christ, this promised one? Isn't it worth another look perhaps to see if this is true? Rather than just going home, look this priest did. All very interesting. Great to see you all excited about this, but too much to hope for. Come and search instead. Come and search for this newborn king. Come and see whether the ancient prophecies are fulfilled. Come and see whether it's historical. Come and check the evidence. More than just nursery rhymes. Why not step out in faith this Christmas and pursue a king? Don't just shut the door. And final answer, who will be king? For, for the magi, these visiting wise men, the answer is this baby. Well, somehow. For the priest, the answer is whatever. There's one more answer to our question in what we read today. There's another character has quite a different answer in mind. You know, these magi wouldn't win any awards for international diplomacy when they show up in Jerusalem on their star-following baby hunt. They make no bones about who they're hunting for. They say, in verse 2, they're looking for the one who's been born, the king of the Jews. But look with me. Look with me on either side of that in your Bibles. Look in, look in verse 1. It's almost like the text goes to pains to emphasize there was already a king of the Jews. In verse 1, during the time of King Herod. Well, in verse 3, when King Herod heard this, and then by verse 7, he just becomes Herod. I think Matthew, who wrote this gospel down, wants us to see just how sharply Herod feels this challenge. Herod already was the king of the Jews. Didn't need another one, thank you very much. You see, I don't know whether you've noticed that or not, but this whole kind of king thing, by and large, well, basically everywhere and always, there's only one king at a time. It's not really a multi-occupancy sort of, you know, sharing thing. There's no job share going on there. Either Herod's the king, and so this new guy isn't, or this new guy is the king, and so Herod isn't. I think he's not very keen on that option. I mean, imagine telling Prince Charles after all his waiting and waiting and waiting that actually there's somebody else who's going to be king, not you. The Magi are not very diplomatic to tell Herod they're hunting for a king. Who will be king? 
Ask that Herod chap. I think there's only one way he'd answer. Who will be king? Me. Me. I'm the one. Now, he's sneaky about it for sure. He doesn't come right out with it. If you look down at verse 8, let's read what he says to the Magi before they head on their way again in verse 8. Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Do you really think that is what King Herod has planned? (coughs) Worship. Um, On the outside, at least, to those who have come, if they would be so naive as to trust him, he seems genuinely intrigued about who's going to be king. But probably you'll know how that story turned out. He isn't really asking the question at all. He has no interest in another king or worshipping another king. Herod's quite clear. Who will be king? It's me. And ultimately that answer leads to horror in Bethlehem. The last verse we read this morning tells of an angel warning Mary and Joseph to leave in a dream. Why? Because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, Herod cannot derail God's plan or harm God's Messiah, his anointed promised one, not at least until his time comes. Jesus' family escape. But Herod's determination and his ruthlessness in pursuing his answer to the question means nothing less than death to the innocents. The ones he fears will get in his way. To ensure that his answer is the answer that stands. He's willing to kill. He's willing to slaughter. That's an evil and twisted way to answer the question. What about about you? What's your answer? Who is it that will be king? Perhaps if others would ask you, you would say, I am looking for a king to worship. Perhaps that's what you'd say. Perhaps you'd call yourself a truth seeker. I want to find out what's true. Maybe you'd tell your friends to go and make a careful search. Go and find out so that I can worship this God too. Maybe you've done that. Maybe your friends have been on a careful search. And they've come back to tell you they found a king. A newborn king. Maybe they brought you here this morning. But I wonder if under the surface the truth isn't a little difference. Maybe in the end the truth is while we might claim we're looking for God, we might claim we're seeking the truth, at the end of the day we're not really seeking a king at all. Maybe we already know what we want to find. Who will be king? Me. Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. He says, perhaps the most common reason people don't believe in God is simply this they don't want anyone telling them what to do they don't want anyone telling them what to do I think he's right I think we often dress it up in other stuff I think we can make nice excuses I have so many questions about the Bible about its historicity about how it interacts with science about about the ethics of the Old Testament I've got questions about other religions. I've got issues. I've got things I need to find out. I think very often when we do that, it's just smoke and mirrors. We're just trying to cover up the fact we don't really want to find a king. 
no intention of letting anyone else get their hands on the wheel of my life in the end. Set in direction, choosing where I go, choosing how I spend my money, choosing how I spend my time, saying what I can get up to with my girlfriend, how I need to conduct myself at work. I'm not having anyone tell me what to do. I'm the king around here and no special baby is going to change that. We need to be honest with ourselves about what we're really doing. See how our ruthless pursuit of control can hurt others around us. I'm in charge here and nobody will challenge me. I will call the shots. I will be the king. See how that answer can hurt others? Now, as we come to close this morning, there, there really is a newborn king. And we are all going to bow before him and call him Lord one day. Everyone. He's going to return. And this time it won't be as a baby in a manger, one that some people go looking for and others ignore and others hate. No, this time when he comes back, it will be as a warrior at the head of an army, tearing through the skies and every knee will bow Every eye will see this time, and it'll be time. Time for us to face the consequences of how we have lived and spent this life that we've been given. Time for us to face the consequences of how we answer this question. Who will be king? Who will be king? Colossians 2, 9 and 10 tells us this. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He is the head over every power and authority. In the end, in the final analysis, Jesus will be king. Let's pray together. We bow before you, Lord Jesus, we name you as Lord, as Master, Uh, we name you as King. God, forgive us for when we have pretended to search for a King, having no intention of finding one. God, forgive us when we are disinterested in our real king we have better things to do Uh, forgive us for how poorly we have understood what it means that you are king Lord please today might we let go of any pretense of being kings ourselves might we give up control in our lives and acknowledge you as lord and a master Might we bow before you today as we will do on that last day. Please drive away passivity, disinterest. Lord, help us to know the incredible delight and joy at Christmas time of the truth that there is a newborn king who has come. One who has come just as promised just when he meant to, 
one who will do everything he has said. May we know you not just as a vague, fuzzy king in the sky, but clearly as our Messiah, as our Savior, as the one who brings us out of death and into life, the one who frees us from other power and control, the one who releases us from sin and death. May we come before you this Christmas time and bow to our King. Amen.